0: With Eric Bailey and Eli Letterman, this is Garren Emig, Tulsa World sports writers. All of us uh, talking about the Oklahoma Sooners. All of us. Thanks very much for tuning in. You can catch this on TulsaWorld.com every week. You want to watch our pretty faces uh, talk about uh, your favorite team? Uh, if you uh, if you want to just listen to us talk about your favorite team, you can do that by downloading and uh, subscribing to the podcast version via Apple, Google, and Spotify. Gentlemen, the red-white spring game uh, took place on Saturday. Baker Mayfield got his statue unveiled. Brett Venables gave another um, speech that uh, had fans, what, in six gear, I think, by the end of it. Of those three things, and I'll open it to either one of you, What, what uh, how would you rank them? One to three. Game, Mayfield, Venables, Fire, and Brimstone. Go ahead, Eli.
1: Well, I think one and three might be tied together. Game. Well, I guess there's the game action, but the game and then Brent Venables. You said one speech, singular. He had like three or four on, on Saturday. I mean, he had the mic in hand. And uh, I guess we can start there. It was that, you know, before the ball got kicked off, Brent Venables had the mic in hand. He riled up that massive crowd of, of 75,000 people, which I think, Eric, you had some conservative estimates on what the crowd might look like uh, late last week. and And they completely surpassed that. Um, but yeah, Brent Venables started with an appeal to the crowd and then brought all 250, as it turns out, of those former Sooners, or, or as many of the, as them could fit around midfield, uh, onto the field. And that, to me, you know, we, we talked about what this day was going to look like, that it was a, a kind of a bit of a celebration, I guess, or the start of this whatever new culture Brent Venables is trying to, to bring about between him expressing that to the crowd and then doing it with all those former Sooners there. I mean, I, I think... That was as much a story as anything that happened on the field.
2: You know, I really thought it was, you know, the Baker Mayfield uh, presentation. I thought it was therapeutic both for Baker Mayfield, who we all know is going through the process with the NFL and where his next home is going to be and what's going to happen at Cleveland, and also for the fans. I mean, they needed something like this. They've had Brent Venables, uh, they've tried, they've weathered the uh, coaching change and all the unknowns and uncertainties going forward. But then they got to see a familiar face, someone who really, when you, if you think about it, he was he brought this program back to where it was when he took over in 2015 at quarterback. So I think it was therapeutic, both for Baker. He needed those fans, to, and, and they showed out for him. I mean, he, every step he took, he was just the most beloved figure around. So good for Baker, and then good for the fans, too, because they got to relive those 2015, 16, and 17 seasons when Oklahoma returned to the elite of college football. So I think the Baker-Mayfield thing, the way it just kind of galvanized everyone together, I think that was a pretty big deal.
1: Yeah, I mean, go ahead. No, no, go ahead, Will. Eli. Go, go. Therapeutic is the word Brent Venables used, and I think maybe the most interesting tidbit was we saw everything that was up front and center, and Baker had his whole weekend of events. But um, you know, Baker referenced a meeting with Brent Venables, and uh and then Brent Venables kind of gave us this tidbit that um, that Baker had come to him about speaking to the team, not the other way around, and that that part of it, getting to tell his story. And, you know, we all know that has been told plenty of times from Texas Tech all the way to the number one pick. But coming back home at this time in Baker's career where his his professional career is in flux, he, he seemed to think maybe post-NFL draft is when there would be some clarity. That would make sense. Uh, but I think coming home for him, having that really warm homecoming and, and getting a chance to just stand in front of, you know, in in that room in front of those players was exactly like you put it and Brent Venables put it, uh, Eric, therapeutic.
0: Fellas, maybe this is where we, we connect the, uh, you know, the Mayfield situation to current events, uh, and it's something I touched on um, in the column on Saturday after the, after the scrimmage, and that is that uh, Mayfield continues to have a, a real magnetism about him, especially when it comes to OU. I'm not sure that's the case in Cleveland anymore with the Browns, but it certainly will always be the case back in Norman. You could feel that in the stadium uh, on, on Saturday. You could feel that Friday night when they actually unveiled the, uh, the Heisman. In a private gathering of former players and, and current coaches and, and players, um, that's the kind of thing. I get the feeling that you're going to need to see uh, you're going to need to see some of, at least to a degree, from Dylan Gabriel, because I, I do think that uh, if if the, pro- the program's in a better place in terms of wins and losses than it was before Mayfield got a hold of it in 2015. Remember, OU was eight and five and got blasted by Clemson in the Russell Athletic Bowl in 2014. They just needed to feel better about themselves football-wise. Stoops took it so hard that he fired Josh Heupel and that's when Lincoln Riley showed up, okay? That things started to turn back toward the right direction, but a lot of it I think can be attributed to not just what Stoops did, not just what uh, Riley did in 15, but what Mayfield did in terms of guidance, right, and influence. Oh, you won eleven games last year, not eight. All right, the Sooners uh, had a better, won their bowl game. wasn't top tier, but at least they won. This isn't a red alert situation on the field, but it is. There is some, there is some concern in in, the, in terms of just transition. We don't know if Brent Venables is going to be a highly su- successful head coach. We don't know if what worked for Jeff Lebby at Ole Miss is going to work at Oklahoma or you know, at Lebby with UCF. We don't know if. Venable showing up automatically is going to make the defense finally turn the corner, something they kind of sort of did under Alex Grinch, but but never completely did. And so you still have a lot of fans, I think, holding their breath. And if you're looking for things to make you feel better about the transition besides Venable's presence, it's got to be the quarterbacks, because there's no other position like Oklahoma starting quarterback, in at least in this state, when it comes to, a, to college sports. So what do you think? I mean, oh, is that a bridge too far to connect Mayfield's influence to the potential for Gabriel to do somewhat of the same thing this season?
2: You know, Gary, Baker mentioned that he had a chance to talk to Dylan and was really impressed with Dylan Gabriel's leadership skills. And you're right, this program's not in the same spot it was in in 2015 when Baker was named the starting quarterback. This program's in, on really firm footing. You know, we do have the transition, and Jeff Levy's going to gonna install his offense uh, but you're you're a couple steps ahead of where Baker was because Dylan Gabriel understands what Jeff Levy's office means. He understands when Jeff Levy, who was in the press box, he wasn't on the field during the game. Uh, he understands what it's like to get on the headset and talk to, to Jeff Levy up in the press box and say, okay, what do you see? What's going on? So I really think that it, it, they're in really firm footing offensively. Uh, The quarterback situation is always going to be something you watch when you're at Oklahoma. And I think the leadership values that Dylan Gabriel built at UCF, three-year starter, injured last year, I think you can see he's that leader that this offense needs during this transition. Now, defensively, what you mentioned, everyone, it's not going to be automatic, nothing seamless. And this isn't going to be seamless. But I think that the familiarity that Center Nation has with Brent Venables, I think that's important. I really do. I think they trust him. There's, and there is going to be some skepticism because, you know, it's going to take time. But I really think that the foundation has been set really well, both at the quarterback position and defensively. Now, quarterback, uh, I wrote about this earlier in the week. I do think they need to go to the transfer portal just to get some experience uh, you know, they have definitely haven't given up on the players behind Dylan Gabriel in that room. I really personally think Nick Evers is going to be a good quarterback, but he's young. So I think that they really need to find the perfect fit for someone to come in because you know, as Dylan Gabriel, we learned with him last year, it's just one play away from someone taking over that offense. So I think that's important. But the original question, I think nothing seamless. It, it, it is a transition. Uh, it'll take a little bit of time. There'll be some growing pains next year. But what I saw at the spring game, it, it's a good start.
0: Well, and you've got players talking about uh, numerous players talking about what they noticed early from Gabriel in terms of sort of seizing that that position. But but Eli, it's one thing for players to talk about it; it's another for Gabriel to show it and to actually have a tangible impact. And and we didn't know that about Mayfield until we saw that 2015 season unfold, and then it just built and built over the not just that season, but the next two. Uh, Gabriel's going to be on a career different career track because he doesn't have that kind of eligibility left but he can still have the same kind of imprint the question becomes when do uh, how how does that how does all the talk that we're hearing in the spring manifest to action in the fall
1: yeah I think you know it it was impossible not to link those two quarterbacks over the weekend and I in a lot of ways I think they couldn't be more different Um, I, I think Dylan Gabriel has a lot of qualities that are that may do the same job that Baker Mayfield did in terms of galvanizing and leading and, and maybe being the spirit of this team but they're not you know he's not Baker Mayfield in, in terms of the personality but as we heard all spring you know he, he came in here and, and and right away as a transfer one of a lot of transfers in an offseason of change and was that guy was the guy that not only you know the guys catching his passes were, were looking up to and looking to for leadership but guys on defense and so he has certainly grab the attention of that group. And I, I don't know that there's much he can do until the fall to, to really, I guess, make use of that. i um, have to apologize for the drills in the background, I've got a lot going on today over here at the Letterman household, but uh, if you can hear me, uh, I, I think it'll be when when this team gets tested uh, in, in the fall that, that we'll start to see Dylan Gabriel's uh, quality, those leadership qualities show.
0: Sure. Eric, you referenced the, the depth of the position. And the fact that Venables is likely—is that right? Is that the right way to say it? He's likely to dip into the portal. I mean, is that a—it's too too strong to say foregone conclusion, but somewhere
2: between likely and foregone conclusion. He, he said they'll definitely look. At yeah, something they'll look at, and I think you know, with the, the deadline coming up to be eligible. And the the strange thing about the portal now is, you know, three years ago, if you're in this situation, you don't know what you're going to do because t- players weren't immediately eligible. So this is something that Oklahoma is learning. I mean, does he get a player that's a younger quarterback, experienced quarterback? Does he get, is there an older experienced quarterback that maybe has one year left? It's, it's kind of a little bit strategic what you want to do too. And Brent Vittables did mention that. It has to be the, a good fit. And it can't be just a player to pick a player that's thrown right. in college games. It has to be a good fit. And I think that's important in year one when you're building this thing that, you know, you want to make sure that everyone in that room's comfortable. So I think there's a lot of trust in those quarterbacks with who, if they do bring someone in, there has to be that trust with those existing quarterbacks that they're going to feel comfortable with who they bring in. Yeah.
0: Uh, I think Dave Aranda named Blake Shapin starting quarterback yesterday. Is, is Jerry Bohannon in the portal yet?
1: He's he, not there yet, but oh, I, I guess we got to give some credit there to Dave Aranda, right? Because he absolutely yes. stretched this into, into August and kind of, uh, for lack of a better term, screwed the guy he's not going to let start. And I think this gives Jerry Bohannon at least a week to consider if he wants to be the backup quarterback at Baylor or enter the portal. And yeah. so credit to him, and a kind of gross for all the college football That is a little bit of grace and, and a, a nice thing.
0: Yeah, so just, Garin, trying if, just trying to wonder if you should start building a file of names. If, 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 if. <laughs> well,
2: well Garen, if Dave Miranda was Oklahoma's coach, would he you name Kyler Murray uh, starting quarterback? <laughs> Hurt starting quarterback in the spring? Would that have happened and left out of summer of mystery in those years?
0: And that's for another podcast. We're going to, I tell <laughs> sometime in June, we're going to dive into Lincoln Riley's shenanigans when it came to naming <laughs> naming uh, Kyler in 18, Hertz in 19. 18, Rattler in 20, and I guess even back to Mayfield in 15.
2: Right, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, Mayfield wasn't, yeah, exactly. And that was, he, he didn't make that a slam dunk, he, he didn't make anything a slam dunk when it came to the quarterback position. And you read between the lines, he, we knew darn well why, even if he wasn't going to say it, he wanted to keep the room as deep as possible and, and, and therefore not name a starter as long as possible so as to tie that tie everyone into the program for the season. Yeah, okay.
1: Speaking of uh, speaking of transfer quarterbacks within the conference, there's no history with Lincoln Riley there, is there? <laughs>
0: That's right. Oh, doubt. That'll be, that's another, that's a July podcast.
1: Okay, (laughs) it's happening for July.
0: We're blocking our shows between now and Big 12 media days. Um, Some some conjecture, even among media, uh, coming out of the red-white game, guys, about potential uh, exit interviews with the head coach at OU, and then potential results of those interviews, meaning decisions on whether to transfer and I guess one was made this week who wants to who wants to tell us about what Cody
1: Jackson did well Cody Jackson right after he had a pretty good spring game caught three passes for 21 yards got targeted I think more than all but two other OU receivers but two days later he jumps into the portal and I think that's as Eric alluded to that's what we're going to see over the next week really until May 1 that's when student athletes across the country have to give written notice to their schools that they want to move and So those exit interviews, you can kind of figure out when schools are doing their exit interviews because not long after that, you're starting to see guys crop up in the portal. And and maybe it's a good sign that there has been only one this week. I don't know if that just means we're going to get a flood on Friday uh, or over the weekend. But to this point, there's only been one sooner that that jumped to the portal. uh, And I think what that'll be then is that early May, that period, is going to be when when guys start flooding and, and making commitments to schools and when you might see you start making some of their, those portal moves that Brett Venable spoke about.
0: Is uh, Eric, is there, a, is there a running back who's next?
2: You know, it's kind of curious to see what's going to happen at that position. I was really disappointed. We didn't get see Marcus Major at running back. And, uh, you know, he was injured this year or this spring. And I, he's one player we just want to see what he can do. And, you know, Javante Barnes, I was really impressed with him at, at, at uh, you know, in the spring game. And then, of course, You have Eric Gray, who's the veteran of that group. You know, when you look back at Lincoln's uh, offense, there was always four or five running backs in that room, and you always wondered, is that too many? But then as attrition goes on, as the year goes on, as injury goes on, four or five was a good number. Mm -hmm. Still learning Jeff Levy, uh, but you probably could see him picking up some more experience uh, at that position. That's something to keep an eye on, just because, you know, well, Marcus Major is a good example. I mean, he he didn't get to play, and if you, you need that room deep. Uh, so it, it, that'll be interesting to see that running back position moving forward. I do like the young talent that they have in that room, though, in Major and Barnes. And you have a veteran leader in Gray, but uh, numbers-wise, you know, after that, it really drops off. So I think that that's the key is they probably do need someone else at that position just to bring in. Probably I we to tack
1: onto to that but, point is that we've heard a lot about what this Levy offense wants to do on the ground and how a lot of that the offense maybe starts there. And, and while I, I mean, Javante Barnes was really impressive, and like Eric, I would have loved to have seen Marcus Major. That, that, that's three guys, really, with Gavin Sachuk, the, the other freshman coming in August, but they're, they're probably one running back away from feeling just good and comfortable going into the season. And so, to, to your point, Eric, can they add that guy in, in May or June? We'd, we'd, that'd be important.
0: Here was the best thing that happened on Saturday that no one's talking about. And it was, and it was something that didn't have to happen, they didn't have to bring in jerry jeff walker or uh clint black or help me out e period you're our, you're our, you're our, uh, country music uh oh yeah lead.
2: exactly although uh we didn't,
0: we didn't have to do the we didn't have to do the pre-kickoff concert yeah Yeah, and that's funny I, and
2: it did it. this this thing sold itself i mean seventy five thousand fans this thing really sold itself, and you had Baker Mayfield. You had the new – it was a perfect storm when you think about everything that came together, but I think it was just the hunger for these fans just to see this new – see everything, and you're right. You didn't need to bring a, a concert, a pregame hour-long concert, concert where they spend, you know, what, $100,000 or whatever. It was. I can't remember the figure, but they spent a lot of money bringing, bringing concert uh, acts in. They didn't need that. I mean, this is – you know – I, you know, kudos for them for trying something different. But this is Oklahoma football. I don't know if you really need a concert to, to bring it yeah. in. it's proved it this weekend.
1: But, Gary, you and I took that lap before the game right around the stadium. And, uh, well, it was uh, it was buzzing around and folks were going to get in late because there were that many of them.
0: You're fine. We can hear you. Uh, there were more – I'll say – here's what I'll say. I predicted 60 all week, and it was beyond what I thought. I don't know. I don't know if it was 75, but it was closer to 75 than 60, right? So, yes, the fans did answer Venable's call for sure. Um, all right. The draft. We, we should probably hit on the draft. Um, question I posed in the Monday column and answered. I'll let you guys answer. Who, who's off the board first in round? I think it'll be round two Perry on Winfrey or Nick Benito? I, I said Winfrey. The three draft mock that McShea and, and Kuyper did for ESPN had Benito going before Perion. I still think that uh, that his Senior ball and his, uh, his anything he did in his workouts, uh, besides the fact that he did really pop on tape, it wasn't consistently that Winfrey popped the last two years. But when he did, you could you, you could see why you 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 could see him in an NFL uniform a little easier than maybe you could even Benito at edge rush. So I say, Perry on. what say you
2: two? Go ahead, Eli.
1: I lean, and maybe this is me for, you know, it's not about the draft. It's more going to be about the next two, three years. I lean Nick Benito because I think he maybe projects as a more versatile guy that maybe there's a team out there that falls in love with him and sees him as this kind of all-purpose outside linebacker, edge rusher, and that might do it. But to your point, Garen, on, on, at least on draft day, it may be all those things you had to say about Perry on Winfrey and what he showed in the senior bowl. And he, he certainly looks the part. And so he, he may be the first to go, but I, I, I haven't a, not a hunch. I wouldn't know anything, but that, that uh, Nick Benito might be a guy that that really appeals to some team that, that looks at him and says he can do a lot for us.
2: I really like Benito a lot. I really, really do with everything that he does and bring to the field, his versatility, his athleticism. Uh, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with uh, Perion Winfrey. It, but I, I want a little asterisk to that. It just depends on how Perion did with his, his interviews with the teams. He's, he's really going to have to really prove himself as a mature player he, how well he did with interviews. And plus, it, it's the consistency. I mean, he has to play every play 100%. Are you going to get that from him? I'm sure that that's what teams are looking at right now. But, man, we're all talent. You know, when the carrot was in front of him, when he went in there to the NFL draft, the combine and, and, and you know, senior vote, when he did all that stuff, I re- he really proved himself. He really, really did. And I think that's what's going to inspire teams to really take a deep look at him. I just think it's one of those things where it's just how did he interview and, and can he stay consistent? I think uh, I'm going to go with Perry on, but I, like going back to Benito, I've always liked Benito's game ever since he made, especially since he made that interception at Baylor uh, to to really lock that comeback win a couple of years ago down. I mean, he's a playmaker, so it's going to be fun to see where these guys get picked.
0: Yeah, I think both will be on an NFL roster come training camp, and I think both will see the field some, depending upon of course need of the team that, that picks. Uh, I actually got into a seven-round mock, and you believe they exist now, and, and more and more every year you see seven-rounders, not just two or three-rounders. One Big Twelve kicker was drafted. It wasn't Gabe Berkich. You Guys, have any idea who it might have been?
1: Top of your head? Oh gosh. Would it have been the? Uh, shoot, the guy from Texas Tech?
0: No. TCU. No, the guy with the cool, cool-sounding last name for his position. Remember he had he had a, he had a yeah. moniker wherever he went. Is it Cameron Dicker? Yes. Wow. Cameron Dicker was sixth round, maybe. This is the sporting news. So if you if you're saying why, blame it on the sporting news. But I I figure if you're gonna draft Dicker, you might as well draft Burkage. Is what I'm saying.
2: Yeah, yeah. Cameron Dicker. He he's the one that kicked the field goal that beat OU a couple of years ago when uh, it was at 18. I can't remember what year that would have been. Well, the
0: years all. Yeah, yeah, it was here Murray almost rescued the game 18. Yeah,
2: yeah, 18. So, yeah, I remember that. But, uh Dicker the kicker. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but no, Gabe Burchich. You know, it, it's amazing he didn't start his his first season at OU, he was the backup kicker. And then he just exploded when there was a midseason change because uh the the former uh cuz a uh, Southern Caleb Sutherland.
0: Yes.
2: Yeah, yeah, so he he was yeah. dismissed from the team and then Burchich took over and just Took took the reins and ran with it. And you know, his career at Oklahoma was pretty huge. I mean, kick a game winner. He had the game winning kick. Uh, he's had a game winner, he's hit some big kicks. Um, it, will will a team take a shot on him and his personality. I mean, you remember the interviews, uh, Garen with him. And he wasn't, he was a unique personality too. Yeah. He off stoops a lot. So uh it'll be interesting to see if he gets picked or not. Yeah.
1: I think he'd get a, maybe a look from somebody given, I mean, I think that Tulane game alone last year showed up, his range at least, kicking 350-yard field goals. That, that should appeal to someone, but uh, shoot, I, I would have guessed there'd been more than one Big 12 kicker getting at least, uh, maybe sneaking into one of those mock drafts.
0: Let's see, Marquise Hayes, Tyrese Robinson, Isaiah Thomas, Memorial Charger, Tulsa Public Proud, they were day three. Uh, I've seen Brian Osamoa as sort of a mid-round guy, maybe on the edge of day two, third or fourth round. Yeah. I'm trying to think if there's anyone else. That's I think I've that's, got one that, more name. Who am I missing? Kennedy, Kennedy
1: Brooks. Kennedy Brooks. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, you're yeah. Who, Kennedy is, Brooks He's projected be big... as like a sixth or seventh round pick. Yeah, I, and I don't know that he's going to go light the world on fire, but I wonder if kind of like his college career, he may go just under the radar because nothing about him super pops physically or whatever else. But I think that was the case for a few years in, in Norman where he was never looked at as the guy, but quietly turned in 3,000-yard rushing seasons. Mm-hmm. And so I do wonder if, you know, maybe there will be a team that finds him and and in him finds a pretty serviceable NFL running back.
2: No, I'm glad you brought up Brooks. I've forgotten. Another one I want to look at is and turner Yale. I mean, he, he's been projected pretty decent too. And turner Yale, we see how these safeties, these defensive backs, their pro careers. I mean, look at uh, – Look at some of these guys from last year that played, uh, You know that made Trey Norwood. What Trey Norwood was able to do. You wonder what kind of pro he was in, and he was he was suiting up for the Steelers. I mean, you're seeing some of these defensive backs make that transition from OU to the to the secondaries of NFL teams. And the Turner Yale is another player. I think he's going to get drafted. It may be a little late, but I think he's a guy that can bring some value to, to a lot of franchises.
0: You know what? Because of the portal, you know a, f- a fun thing for fans to do is to count the number of former players who are also picked. And you, and you could actually stack a decent number of ex Sooners. Um, I've seen Calcaterra. Uh, I've seen TJ Pledger. And I've seen um, Charleston Rambo as, again, we're talking about day three. But anymore, <laughs> if you're a coach, you probably want to see as many just you know products on draft boards as transfer products. Uh, probably means you're doing the accounting wrong. Uh, so I, as, but those are other names to keep an eye on this weekend.
1: Got one bit of trivia for you guys. If, if, if you've got the stomach for it.
0: <laughs> Always. Um,
1: can you guys, maybe this is an obvious answer as a guy who wasn't, you know, here all these years, but can you think of the, do you know the last year where neither, none of the in-state FBS schools, Tulsa, Oklahoma, and Oklahoma State went with, when those schools went without a first round pick the last time that happened?
0: Um, when was Zaven picked? Is that last year? That, that was, was last, year. last year. That
1: was last year.
0: I would have said last year until I thought of until Zaven Collins flashed into my head. Oh man, need uh, well, OSU has done a first rounder in a in a minute.
1: It's been a little while.
0: Um, so really, this you've got to be thinking in terms of Oklahoma terms here, OU terms. Uh, first overall home.
2: picks in 19 and 18. Who was there not who was uh who was the 19th first rounder? Tyler. Oh, that was 19th draft draft. Yeah, 2019 draft. Okay,
0: no, 2020 then. Or 2020. Who would have been the OU's 2020 first rounder? Oh, was Creed Humphrey first rounder? I don't think so.
1: I can I can tell you this there was someone in 2020. I'll, I'll check back on my oh, uh, C D was one of them. C D yeah. okay and uh, and Kenneth Murray and Kenneth Murray.
2: Murray, yeah, right. yeah, that was a good track, boy. I, there's probably some fans that are listening right now screaming at us. The year? Oh, <laughs> while we're sitting here trying to figure this out.
0: Um, I'm going to say it's not. It's, I'm going to say it's not as far back as we. How about um, 2016?
1: I was going to say 15.
0: It's
2: 2017,
1: guys. It was that was the year Joe Mixon went in round two. Okay. And he okay. was followed by D.D. Westbrook and Samaj P. Ryan and OSU had a couple of guys, but there was no first rounder in 2017.
0: See if you asked me about Westbrook, I'd almost say late first round, but he wasn't, was he? He was not a, was a second round guy. I'm well, to go back and make sure I'm right. Oh, okay. No, 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 no. No, no, I'm not saying you're wrong. <laughs> and no,
2: no, yeah. D.D.
0: wasn't a yeah. So huh. Uh, yeah, I yeah, remember, was mixed I remember... In
1: at the forty eight.
2: I remember
0: Mixon falling uh, to the second run because I remember ESPN coverage of Mixon being drafted and it was all about the, uh, the Amelia Molitor incident and it had nothing to do with um, what he, what he did on the field. So um, I do remember that starkly. Um, interesting.
2: All right. Well, okay. let me ask you this real quick. Since they uh, Eli had some trivia, let me give you a little gambling of that play with the numbers a little bit uh, over under uh, players drafted you know there was 11 combine OU players what's your over under on draft picks if I gave you a let's give you um let's go six and a half would you go under or
0: over I'd go, I'd go slightly over to seven
1: okay I'd probably lean there too six and a half is the perfect number Eric because that's the number I was thinking of as a good over under I yeah. think I, I hit the over two because that I think that hinges on Gabe Berkic <laughs>
2: potentially <laughs> <laughs> well you know two names we haven't mentioned was jeremiah hall and mike woods those are two others they yeah. you know, never know mm-hmm. i mean they, they could sneak up on the board too so let's go stick and have i i think we're all going to go over I, you know if i had to pick i'd say seven this is a fair number I'll, I'll go over i wouldn't be surprised if it's just six two. so we'll 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 look at this next week see how we did yep let's do that We should probably talk softball next week. Isn't Bedlam
0: softball next weekend? Oh yeah, yeah.
1: And Eric, Eric's right.
0: Yeah, and you're Eli's still writing quite a bit about Cowgirl softball, so he could actually he could actually give us some perspective from uh, from OSU side of that. I'm going to call that a pretty big series.
1: (laughs) I think next week needs to be a softball special. Um, (laughs) (laughs)
0: uh, So get yourself. So Eli will do a softball trivia. Uh, Eric will have. and notes from Gasol, Olo, and, and Jennings and the crew, and we'll also look back on the draft and see. if, In fact, we all hit the over on six and a half Sooners taken. Um, what am I? Sp- oh, real quick, I'm supposed to do something about All World, and we want to make we want to make folks happy back in the uh, corporate office. So this is me saying, you can get your tickets for the All World Awards on sale at AllWorldAwards.com. The date of the ceremony and the uh, and the uh, program is August second. It's a, actually a big deal um, and I'm glad we're doing it again because it gives us a chance to honor those who um, are often overlooked in the course of the crazy sports calendar. Not just the high school athletes in the Metro. It's not just football and, and basketball. Everything gets covered. Uh, we give awards and recognition to every sport in the Metro. It really is a cool thing that, uh, that, that we try to put on with the help of our friends at uh, Bill Knight. Renaissance Tulsa Hotel and Convention Center is the location that's the off of 169 and again it's august 2nd get your tickets at allworldawards.com i've done my due diligence fellas anything else or can we turn everyone loose we good
1: Do we know who's hosting the all world awards
0: well the speaker is going to be um rod thompson former university of tulsa player and bryce's i think he's better known as bryce thompson's dad these days <laughs> So Rod's going to—he's—he's he's excellent. He'll do—he'll do a—a he'll do uh, a good job, uh, keeping it real, as the kids say, to the kids, because uh, that's what this is all about. So yeah, uh, Rod is going to be the—the um, the keynote speaker in the footsteps of Mike Boynton, who did a—a a swell job last year for us. All right, that's it for this week. I'll be back with Eli and Eric next week on TulsaWorld.com and on the pod, courtesy of Apple, Google, and Spotify. Have a good week, folks.